0: In the year 1959, the chairman of the Communist Party in China, Mao Zedong, closed and boarded up and padlocked most of the churches in the country of China. At that point, there weren't that many Christians in China, but there were hundreds of thousands of them, and they found themselves suddenly completely exiled from worshiping God in congregation, at least, and also from being with one another and encouraging one another. Elizabeth Sherrill wrote an article in Guidepost Magazine, and one of you shared it with me this week. It's it's a wonderful article. She describes a visit she made to China 22 years after 1959, so in 1981. She had heard that the churches were reopening again. China was opening up. So she went and she visited with a a man who was a medical doctor that she had known from years gone by. He spoke English. He had studied in America. When she visited him, she said, is it true? that the churches are open again? And he said, yes, we've gone back. He said, we've had our first church service three months ago in 22 years. And then he said, well, inside that is. Inside, he explained. When Chairman Mao Mao had padlocked the churches, it was close to Christmas. This man, medical doctor had been working at the hospital. He came home, it was about uh, 1030 at night. He was sad and heavy hearted at what had happened. He walked in and just as he was preparing to take his jacket off and sit down for the night, he had a sudden call from the Lord to go down to the church building, put his coat on. His wife saw him and without a word, she put her coat on. They grabbed their umbrellas and on Christmas Eve, 1959, with their building padlocked and boarded up, they began to walk down the cold and rainy streets Of Shanghai looking for their building. The closer they got, the more they noticed something that was amazing. Literally hundreds of other people, all in total silence, had put their heavy coats on, were carrying their umbrellas, and they all were walking towards the same church building. When they got there, he said, we stood outside for two hours. There was no sermon. We couldn't sing. We were forbidden to read from the Bible. So for two hours that Christmas Eve, he said, by the hundreds, we simply stood and enjoyed a sweet communion directly with God and a silent but sweet communion, one with another. And then he said, without any announcements, every Christmas Eve for 22 years, they showed up and in silence, they communed with their God. Is it any wonder that today, on average, there are 10,000 baptisms every single day in the country of China? You see, God had taken them through this spiritual drought. He had taken them through this, this hard place so that he could purify them and allow them to become more of what he wants them to be so they would be ready when the great revival broke out. I don't know exactly what God's gonna do with this pandemic. I've told you early on, I don't wanna lay it at the feet of God, but I do know this, God will use the pandemic. He may use it to clean your life up. He's using it to clean my life up. He's actually, you know, I've, I've confessed to you for years now that I've had issues with anxiety and I don't even know why this is. I don't even know how to explain this, but my anxiety levels have been lower during this pandemic than they've been in years. And I think God is just using it to say, all right, David, let go. Just let go. I don't know what God's doing. Some of you are praying, Lord, I want to spend more time with my wife and my children. Well, I guess I know what he's doing for you. He's giving you a whole lot more time in some cases with your wife and Joe. Some of you might have been thinking, you know, we just need to be able to reduce the stress in life and our dependence on stuff and our love of things. I don't know what God's up to, but what I know is that God will do something really amazing for his people. That's you for your children. He's going to do something amazing. Your, your children will never forget this. Your children will always remember the time they went through the pandemic and how their mama and how their daddy responded in faithfulness, how they became closer. These will be permanent days of legacy for our families. I don't know what God's going to do, but something amazing for his people. You know God's going to do something amazing because he says all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. He's going to do something awesome. So the big question, I think, is how do we survive between now and then? Now, I've tried to give you some wisdom on this. So you just a few points from the last several weeks. I I really did push on this one. Praise is the antidote of our spiritual diseases. When you find yourself or your heart's down, praise God, sing a song, burst out in song. Singing is a great way for us to antidote discouragement, fear, and anxiety. I also said this. I want to do this one again. I really want to challenge you to do this today. Ask the people that you live with or whoever you've been Skyping with or FaceTiming with, whatever it is, how are you feeling? Don't just ask how you're doing. Ask how you're feeling. It's a great way to convey love and give people a chance to say how they're feeling. One of the things that I've really wanted to challenge you to do is this. Memorize Exodus 15 and verse 2. And by the way, I'm really proud of you guys because I keep getting all this um, these photographs of people who've done all these cool things with Exodus 15-2, use it like a mantra. I don't really like that word, but you get what I mean. Whenever you feel those feelings of anxiety rising inside of you, the fear, the terror, the, the discouragement, the guilt from yesterday, how you shouldn't have handled this this way, or whatever it is, whenever you start to feel those feelings rise, respond with your mantra. Say it over and over and over again. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him, my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. And today I just want to give you one simple truth, right straight from the lips of Jesus. Let me read it to you. It's found in Matthew chapter 6. It's the last verse of Matthew chapter 6. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Therefore, Jesus says, it's red letters, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, if you put this uh, from the other perspective or just look at it from the other angle, what Jesus is teaching, what he's saying is regardless of what God might be up to, we survive by trusting God one day at a time. That's my only message today. One day at a time. I've had the pleasure of calling quite a few of you this past week. Um, it's been a real joy because we don't have as many administrative meetings, as many committee meetings as we used to have. I just got more time to do some pastoral stuff, which I love, by the way. And as I call you, I'm, I'm just, I just want to, I can't tell you how much I love you guys. I really can't. And I'm falling more and more in love with you. I call you and I've, I've heard a, a lot of different stories. Some of you have lost your jobs or you're on the verge of losing your jobs. And my, my heart is so heavy for you. Others of you, you just seem to have this, uh, you know, I don't know what God's going to do, but it's really cool attitude. The attitudes are all over the place. But here's what I want to teach you from Jesus' own words that I think will get us through the pandemic. Take it one day at a time. You don't need to be worried about tomorrow. God already is at tomorrow. It's so important for us to remember this. God is already at April 6, 2020. God's already where we're going to be tomorrow. When you wake up in the morning, God is already there. God is already on April 7 and 8 and 9. God is already at our tomorrow. He's already secured our tomorrow. So Jesus' wisdom is, let tomorrow take care of itself. Just let today be your day. You know, if I were to put this in, um, so I'm an amateur psychologist, all ministers are very amateur, but if I were to put it in the language of amateur psychology, what I would say is this, as the voices of anxiety, the voices of trouble, the voices of fear and terror rise up, just say to yourself, you know what, I'll let God worry about that. I'm going to take what he's given me today. I'm going to use my senses. Have you ever thought of this? Use your senses. Just look around the room. If it's safe to do this, reach over and grab the hand of somebody sitting with you. You can do it right now in church. You can reach over and say, honey, I love you. You can reach over and just touch one of your children or snuggle up against them and just say, I love you. I'm so glad I'm here with you. Use the senses God has given you to just sort of live in today, live in this moment. Enjoy this moment, what God is doing this moment. Look at how beautiful a day it is today. It's a fabulous day. Go sit in the backyard or whatever you got, whatever the park is that's near you that you can legally go to. Just let your senses wake up and say, Lord, I thank you for this day. You remember when Jesus does this, um, what we call the Lord's Prayer, what he says is we say to God, thank you for what you've done, but then give us today our daily bread. We don't have to worry about tomorrow. In fact, In the Sermon on the Mount, this verse that I've read to you, I think perhaps the most important word in all of verse 34 is the word, therefore. Therefore, he says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Because the word therefore means that this sentence, this wisdom is the conclusion of everything that has preceded it. And what has preceded it? Well, a whole lot, but I can distill it into three points. Here's what has preceded it. The first thing is that God wants us to know that our lives are more important than the things that we worry about. Why do you worry about clothes? He says, why do you worry about food? Why do you worry about your life? Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? What God is saying to us is your life is so much more important than the things that you might be anxious over. I mean, I'm in the image of God. You're in the image of God. You think God's going to let us fall? You think God's going to let something snatch us out of his loving, powerful, and gracious hand? Jesus says in John chapter 10, nothing will snatch us out of the hand of God. Nothing will. Our lives are so much more important than the things we worry about. So I've read this quote uh, recently. Warren Buffett, one of the wealthiest men in the world, made the statement. He was talking about business. It's a, it's a little dicey the statement, but pardon me for using it. He said, when the tide goes out, you can usually tell who's been swimming naked. I think that's true about faith. When times are good, it's hard to tell who's really faithful because it's just easy to do good things. But you really know who's prepared when things get hard. It's like a teabag. If you really want to know what a teabag tastes like, you got to dip in hot water. Once you dip in hot water, then you actually know what it's made of. In the same way, this is the time for us really to know how much we trust God. Look, I know how much you trust God when times are good. How much do you trust God when times are not good? So what he's saying to us in this text is, get your priorities in order. Decide right now, the things that you've always said were more important than all your stuff then your career, then all your entertainment and recreation, all the things you've always been saying, that's more important to me. Now you get a chance to make it more important. So what he's teaching us is so much of what we worry about. Really, at the end of the day, it's just not going to measure out to be a whole lot. The second thing I want you to see that he says, he wants us to know that worrying actually doesn't change anything anyway. Verse 27, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? So here's the deal whatever's coming our way, it's coming our way whether you worry about it or not. You know that, don't you? You can worry about losing your job. That's not going to change whether you lose your job or not. All it's going to do is make you miserable while you think about it. Maybe Jesus is just teaching us that anxiety and worry, they really don't help the situation any. So I'm not suggesting you shouldn't plan. Of course you should plan. In fact, many of you planned well, and so these times are not as difficult for you. What I am saying is we can't change the world by worry. We change the world by prayer and action, not by worry. So Jesus is just giving us this basic truth, which is anxiety takes away everything God wants us to have as his children. It takes away peace. It takes away joy. It can take away love. It can even take away our faith and our confidence in God. So what he just says is, look, uh, uh, most of what you worry about is never going to happen. And if it does, it's not going to be as bad as you thought. Just find a way to discover the peace of God that passes understanding, realizing anxiety doesn't change anything anyway. All right, I'm going to give you one other, uh, one other reason. So it is found several times in the text just preceding verse 34, where he says, therefore, that is because of everything I just said, do not worry about tomorrow. And here's what it is. Let me read it to you, and then I'll give you the, my statement of it. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Then going down to verse 28. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers, the King James wants to come out of me. See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet i tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed as one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. Here's the simple truth. God is going to provide. We are part of the Abrahamic faith. That's how sociologists describe us. That is, we're descendants of Abraham. This Bronze Age Middle Easterner from Sumeria who wandered around somewhere out the land that we would call later Israel. And we're children of this man who lived 4,000 years ago because he was a man of faith. One of the most poignant texts in all the Bible is the text that occurs where Abraham is taking his son of promise, Isaac. He's taken him to Mount Moriah where the current Dome of the Rock stands. is where the temple was built, right on the same mountain. And as he takes his son, God has said, I want you to offer your only son, the son of sacrifice, the son of promise, your only son of promise is how I should put it. And I want you to sacrifice him to me. It's a several day journey to the Mount of Moriah. On the uh, the way, just before they get there, Isaac says, This is the poignant part. He says, Dad, here's the wood, here's the fire, where's the sacrifice? You remember how Abraham answered? Remember how he answered? You see, God may not get me through this with all the stuff that I have. Honestly, I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, a lot of businesses uh, are going to go under, it appears, and we hope they don't. Let's pray they don't. I think some churches are going to go under. These are lean time for churches. You, you should know most churches' contributions now have, have tanked. Uh, North Boulevard has some cash reserves, but a lot of churches don't have it. And it's going to be really hard. And I can't promise that we're going to all come out with all of our toys on the other end, all of our stuff and all of our luxuries. And God never promised that anyway. I also can't promise that we're all going to come out with our health. I mean, right now, not, I, don't, I think we only have a couple of members at North Boulevard who have been tested for the coronavirus, but it's possible that several of us get it. I may get it. Who knows? But here's what God does promise. He promises that just as he takes care of the birds of the air and just as he clothes the flowers of the field, he will provide. And that's what Abraham said to his son. Father, here's the fire, here's the wood, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, the Lord will provide. And he did. So Jesus can tell us live day by day because he realizes that God's going to provide for us. So let me say it um, very simply and clearly to you. These are anxious times, they're lonely times, they're fearful times, they're times of terror. But just remember, God is going to provide for us. He has provided for his people for 2,000 years, and he's not about to give up on us. He's going to bring us through this with grace, with strength, purified, holy, and ready to go. So we want to live one day at a time. The old King James used to use the phrase, mercy seat. So in the Old Testament, there was the Ark of the Covenant. It was called oftentimes in the Old Testament, the seat of God. It's where God sits. The very top of it was a golden uh, lid that had two cherubs or cherubim, we would say, on it. They called it the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was a place where God spoke from. It was a place where people could, could come close to to receive God's grace. In times of war, people would hold on to the mercy seat because they thought it would keep them alive. It was one of those places where you could rally as the people of God. It was a place of great atonement. The blood was sprinkled on it once a year to save people from their sins. And there's a song about the mercy seat. This song got in my head this week as I was thinking about, oh, just songs that we sing. It's a song that was written um, almost 200 years ago in Manchester, England, by a guy named Hugh Stowell. It's a song that I remember singing some as a kid, but not a whole lot. I want to read to you a couple of verses of it. From every stormy wind that blows, from every swelling tide of woes, there's a calm, a sure retreat. It's found beneath the mercy seat. There's a place where Jesus sheds the oil of gladness on our heads, a place than all besides more sweet. It's the blood bought mercy seat. Now, the third verse, I love the third verse because it kind of speaks to our situation today. It's, it's similar to the story I told you about the Chinese Christians who gather around outside in silence. Listen, listen to the words of it. There is a scene where spirits blend, where friend holds fellowship with friend though sundered far, that means though we're not actually physically together, we're spread apart, though sundered far, by faith we meet around one common mercy seat. So I'm doing my best to figure out some way to make sure you know that I love you. I mean, I really love you. I've come to love this church. I've always loved this church. I love you more than I've ever loved you before. And um, I don't claim to be a musician, I'm not a singer but singing is my way of telling you I love you. So I want to sing to you the last two verses of this song and um, just as a gift. I'm going to sing that verse I just read to you and then I'm going to sing the last verse.
1: There is a scene where spirits blend, where friend holds fellowship, With friend, though sundered far, by faith they meet Around one common mercy seat There, there, on eagles' wings we soar And time and sense seem all no more And heaven comes down, our souls to greet. And glory crowns the mercy
0: seat. God welcomes us to his mercy seat one day at a time. We will get through this, my brothers and sisters, one day at a time. Just take today, as Jesus says, For the troubles it has and don't worry about tomorrow god is already at your tomorrow he is there with grace he is there with mercy he is there with power he is there with strength he loves you you are a sheep in his flock and he will never abandon you so whether times are good for you and you're making it great right now as some of you are or whether you've got family members who are sick or you've lost your job whatever it is listen to the words of king jesus Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Or in other words, trust God and live one day at a time. When we do this, it releases us from the bondage of our fear. A fear is very natural. If you see a lion in the street, you ought to be afraid. The problem is we have that kind of fear sometimes when there's no lion in the street. The only lion we have is the lion of Judah, the son of God. And he offers us to release us from the enslavement of our fears. One day at a time. One day at a time. Let's sing our song.